Sometimes growing up and changing and maturing is not about becoming someone different. It is about accepting the fact that there was really nothing wrong with the you you had always been. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with Minister Princeton Parker, who says that sometimes you just can't protect from process. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back to Redefining Wealth, and especially welcome back to this amazing series, Results Not Resolutions, every single year, 2017, nope, that's not true, 2018, (laughs) 2019, and now 2020, I believe in kicking off with a six-week series that really helps us get our minds right as we prepare for what it is we say we want to create in this brand new year. And this series has been phenomenal, just like the last two. And I am so excited to keep it going with the faith pillar. Now, if you're new here, you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't know what the faith pillar means, but let me put it into perspective. Redefining wealth is a community of people who believe that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. Here, we believe in the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's the condition of well-being. And so every week I seek to unpack six pillars, which you can find out more about at patricewashington.com. Just click on start here. And in these pillars just lies all the, the parts of life that truly impact our wealth and our finances. We just don't always think about it. And so today we're tackling the faith pillar with Princeton Parker, who was absolutely phenomenal. Now, I always try to warn you. I try to warn you. I tell you, look, this is going to be the one where you need to listen maybe two, maybe three, maybe four times. I don't ever lie to you. This is the one. Princeton Parker puts it down on this episode. Before we dive into it, I want to remind you that For this first several weeks of the year, we are looking to partner folks up as accountability partners over in our Purpose Chaser community. So you said you needed accountability and we have answered. So join the free I Am A Purpose Chaser community. It's at IamAPurposeChaser.com. This is a community of over a thousand, I think it's over like 1,200 Um, folks from all over the world right now who are like, you know what? I really get behind this message of redefining wealth and I want to live my life by the pillars. Um, That's how I live my life. And I know that the success I've had has come through accountability and I want you to have that same opportunity. So we are doing our best to partner you up, but just come and engage and share and post and reply to folks and you will find Um, some like-minded folks who are on the same page and looking to do some of the same things you are. We can hold each other accountable. So come to IamAPurposeChaser.com. Trust me, you want to come too because you are going to want to discuss this episode. Mm, mm, mm. So let me tell you about Princeton Parker. He's a minister, motivational speaker, and musician who inspires and teaches people how to pursue their purpose. He stands on the belief that young people and old alike can live more successful and fulfilling lives by pursuing something that's bigger than them. 
Princeton knows this principle firsthand as he's been speaking and motivating, get this, since the age of two. Affectionately called the Kid Preacher, he preached his first sermon at age four and was licensed as a minister at age seven by the Church of God in Christ. Now, I have met Princeton. I know Princeton. Let me tell you, you can tell that this boy, this man has been preaching since he was a boy. He puts it down. His perspective is so refreshing and I cannot wait for you to hear. Without further ado, here is Princeton Parker. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Princeton. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so, so, so much for having me. No, you can't be more excited than me because you're (laughs) on the West Coast. No, you're on the West Coast. So you might just be getting up, but I've been up for five hours and pumped about (laughs) having this opportunity to chat with you today because we've known each other for some time, at least from Mm -hmm. a distance, right? So Uh Disney Dreamers and the whole Essence Disney, Steve Harvey camp. So we've been familiar for years, right? Yeah. Followed you on Instagram for quite some time now. And every once in a while, you know, you put out some fire content that I come across and I'm like, oh, I need to. (laughs) <laughs> I have to invite him on the podcast, but it's fleeting, right? And I'm always looking for, I'm very intentional about the mm-hmm. podcast and I'm always looking for the right time because, you know, everything's not always just the right time. And just recently you had a video on Instagram and I was in the midst of something. I was in the midst of what felt like a betrayal in business. Wow. And I woke up. And I literally like for three days in a row, I had woken up at like three something in the morning because the Holy Spirit was just riding me about certain things. And I was discovering things, not that I would even know to go search for, but I would get that nudge that was that would be like Google this (laughs) or look this up. And then I kept discovering all this stuff. And by Friday, I was exhausted. And I went to sleep early, woke up at like 10 o'clock at night or something. And my husband was looking at me, you know, Gerald. So Gerald Mm -hmm. was looking at me like he couldn't wait for me to wake up. Like, watch this, watch this. I'm like, sir, I got to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I didn't sleep for hours. But he was like, you need to see this. You must see this. And it was the video snippet of your sermon. I'm getting back to me. And that was six minutes and 30 seconds or something of Instagram gold. And I reached out to you immediately. (laughs) I was like, this is about being obedient. Because a part of what I learned in that experience was that I had been disobedient. Wow. And from your sermon on, since seeing that, I've been living with this intention of like the obedient life. Like, what would it look like if I just moved every time God told me to? Wow. Yes. Yeah. And so thank you for that. Thank you for being here. And you cannot, for that reason, you cannot be more excited than me. I just wanted to out excite you. (laughs) Got it. Got it. Got it. I love it. You definitely have me on the hours piece. I did, in fact, uh, just wake up not too long ago here on the East Coast. It is a beautiful early morning. Uh, But I don't have that experience on the sermon end. But I don't know that you know the excitement of when you get an Instagram message or an email from like the Patrice Washington. Like, I just, I'm not sure you've ever had that experience. I totally was at work when it happened. 
I like flipped out. I definitely like was like, Lord, this didn't just, this didn't just happen. She said, she want to talk about what? Like the sermon, Lord, you be really preaching, Lord. You be really saying some <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, and I was, I was so excited. I think what you talk about obedience really matters in every aspect of life. It really matters in every position, no matter where someone is. Uh, it took obedience for me to, to put that up. Uh, because we, I'm typically sort of like, uh, maybe not so much direct preaching content. And every time I'm obedient about what to post, it has some very, very, very direct impact in people's lives. And so I've definitely learned to lean into those, into those moments. And so I am so excited to, to know you first of all, and then to be in this space because this podcast has inspired me so much. And so, uh, I, I am excited as well. Ah, thank you so much. So. The clip that I saw started with what I believe is you talking about the prodigal son. Yes. Right? So the sermon centers um, on the experience of the prodigal son. And the title of the sermon is I'm getting back to me. And I want to unpack the place that it came from. Mm-hmm. For me, in, in full disclosure, I, I went through a breakup that was of a serious relationship that I was in for a very long time. And my response to that was maybe if I had been different, a different me, just somebody else, the the guy that I would look across the way at and say, you know what, he has this, this, and this, and you know, he, he has this confidence and he walks like this and he wears this. Per- perhaps if I was more than me, I would have been enough. And so I know what it is personally to choose or decide that if if I pursue something different other than who I really am, I might have a fairer shot at life. And I believe that the Bible presents to us more than what we give credit to from an emotional health lens. Uh, one of the ways that I like to read the Bible is through the perspective of emotional health, through the perspective of psychology. And so what we look at in the prodigal son is not just a distance as it relates to departure, but... Um, or a departure that doesn't relate to distance, but a departure that relates to identity. He does not just leave his home. He leaves that version of himself in pursuit of a different, what he feels like is more affluent, what he feels like is more relatable, more social, what is cooler, what is more relatable via the culture standard. Because he says that who I am at home ain't nothing compared to who I might be in these streets. Mm. And what he discovers is, this is, this is the, what's powerful from the prodigal son's perspective, is what he discovers is there was nothing wrong with me at home. Th- there was nothing wrong with the me that just was. And so the whole sermon pr- is, is kind of predicated upon that belief that um, I believe and what I've learned as I've grown up and what I learned after that breakup is that Sometimes growing up and changing is not about becoming something different. It's about realizing that there was nothing wrong with the you that has always been. Oh, okay. Say that again, please. Say that one more time. Sometimes growing up and changing and maturing is not about becoming someone different. It is about accepting the fact that there was really nothing wrong with the you you had always been. And I really believe that for all of us, there's this great departure that we have where we're like, you know what? I'm about to make this money, though. I'm about to lose this weight and watch me stunt on them. I'm 
I'm about to to buy this house and, and watch me level up. And I'm, I'm about to get this degree. And we pursue so much believing that these enhancements will somehow mature us. They will somehow create more value. And then you get it. And you have this moment, like the prodigal son who is there, who has, and, and here's what's interesting. He has to lose everything he thought he wanted to realize that he needed none of it. Ooh, <laughs> that's a word. He, he had to lose it to realize, yo, um, I'm a whole person without that. And, and I have an identity and I have a home and I have a place to exist. Because really, that's what we're all searching for. Like, uh, I, I can't, you know, if, if being me costs me this, then maybe I don't have a space to exist. So that is the, the tenor and the tone uh, of the message that stands upon the precipice of reclaiming the identity you gave up in search for what you felt like you needed to be. But in that, I love to look at these biblical stories and say, Okay, as we're approaching this from an emotional health lens, let us preach from every person's perspective in the text, Mm -hmm. right? Not just the central character. And I think we kind of do that from a certain perspective. Everybody's preached about the prodigal son. But I stopped and I said, I wonder what was his experience like for his dad? We We don't preach about that, right? We don't preach about what it feels like when someone who you raised someone who will be the recipient of an inheritance that you worked for. The prodigal son approaches his dad and says, give me my inheritance, the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, if we survey the custom of Jewish history that that is behind this text, what we will find is that what the son asked for is not wrong. When he says, give me my inheritance, that is not an out-of-pocket request. It was going to be due to him anyway because he was a son. So there was a portion that falls to him. The problem was not what he asked for. It was when he asked for it. It's not what he's asking for that's out of pocket. He's going to get that. He wants to speed it up. He's saying, give it to me now. I know I'm going to get it at the transition closer to when you will die. Can we speed that up? So for many of us, it's not what we ask for. That's the problem. It is our belief that we need the what now. Mm. And it is really a reflection that we don't trust that we'll get it. Because if you really trusted that you were going to get it, then you would wait until when you know it's going to come. But in his impatience, he says, I know I'm going to get it, but I'd probably be better off in life if I had it now. Mm. And don't we always assume that, though? Like, we don't even recognize that we may be demanding things we don't even have the capacity to sustain. That we don't have the capacity to understand. Like, we, we think we know what inheritance means. But the reason why that happens though, honestly, is because we are able to see reward without responsibility. We are able to see promise without purpose. So I can see how it's going to benefit me. I don't yet see what stewardship of that looks like. Mm -hmm. If I saw, if I had a peek into what it takes to sustain that, if I had a peek into what it takes to be the steward over that, then I'd be like, Lord, go and give me two more years so I can really, uh, <laughs> like, Let really get be it who together. I'm supposed to be. Let me get it together, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> you just take your time because that's a lot. And that's what the prodigal son does. He says, you know, I see what this can do for me, but I'm not processed. That I might need to be a more processed man to hold on to an inheritance. And if I, if I talk about unpack that, 
the purpose of process. What does it mean to be a processed man? What does it mean to be a processed woman? And so I, I can see in the dad that he had every opportunity to be mad at this boy. He had every opportunity to give him the dad speech. <laughs> he had every opportunity to be like, um, son, you don't know what you're doing. He had every opportunity to do what most of our parents had done. would be like, set yourself down, go back to the kids table. You don't know this. All I had to work for all that I had. The thing that I do every other week. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you, you in this social media, you don't know what it was when we had to network ourselves and we had to climb up the hill in the snow with one boot. Mm-hmm. And, and, his, and he had every opportunity to do that. He had a right to. He totally has more experience than the son. He has more life. He has more wisdom. He has more purpose and process. And what hit me as I'm reading the text is that he did none of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that whatever detail the Bible doesn't convey, uh, it is either not meaningful or it is to leave space for more inquiry that we might um, arrive at our own learnings by piecing together the details we have. So I'm like, there's a reason why there's not in there. If there would have been something important about making the speech before somebody leaves you, then it would have shown the father's speech. And there was none. So what that tells me is that someone who you raised, who you gave an identity to, who you have loved, someone who you have built your life so that they will not have to struggle the way you did, someone who you have lived in consideration of, someone who you have put before yourself, someone who literally is a walking manifestation of your life. They have theirs because you gave yours first. Can ask to leave your life and you don't have to say anything. As you said, he had the the anointing of, okay, mm-hmm. okay, you want to go, okay. But why can't we handle the okay? Like, why can't you know we what? come to the okay? I am so glad you asked that. Number one, we oftentimes do not stand in the power of okay for a number of reasons. One, we hold this internal belief that we can protect someone from process. We hold this internal belief that um, there is this version of enough that we can be for them. I can do more to make you see. I can do more to help you understand. I can do more to provide you reasons to stay. Um, I can do more to change your mind. I can do more to change your opinion. Watch this. I can do more to help you see the value in me. And and I want to pause there because we think that when we stay, when someone's begging us practically to leave, we think that it is a reflection of our love for them. When in actuality, it's a reflection of our lack of love for ourselves. Ooh, okay. Say that again. We think when someone is trying to leave our lives to go on whatever journey they are saying they are going on, we think that when we stay, it's a reflection of how much we love them. I love you so much, I can't let you go. I love you so much, I need to fight with you so you don't mess this up. I love you so much that I'm going to stay and prove myself. When in actuality, 
it's a reflection of a lack of love for ourselves. Because if I loved myself, I would know that I was enough. And if you don't see it, it's not my job to make you see what I already know I am. Anything I feel like I have to prove might be a reflection of the fact that I don't think I really am it. If you have to prove you're successful, it might be a reflection of the fact that you don't really believe you're successful. If you have to prove you're worthy, it's probably a reflection of the fact that we don't believe we're worthy. If I have to prove, and, and so anything you have to prove is really a reflection of the fact that you don't believe it within yourself, that we, that I, Princeton, don't believe it within myself. And there had to be, and there has to be a time in all of our lives where the okay comes from the fact that the okay has to be internal before it's external. Mm-hmm. I can't okay you leaving until I okay the life that I have without you. Woo, that's so good. <laughs> I can't okay you leaving until I okay the life, the that, life I, that I have that I have without you. That's the other reason why we don't live in the power of okay is because I'm afraid of what life looks like without you in it. Mm-hmm. It is not my protection of you. It's really my fear of being alone. And in that way, these, these things that we do is almost kind of self-serving. When someone yes. says, hey, I, I need a year to focus on me. And then you hold on to that relationship or someone says, hey, you know what? I wanted to tap you for this opportunity, but now we're going to go in a different direction. And anytime we hold on and like tighten the reins at that point, it's not because we're trying to protect them. We're in, in more sense, it's trying to protect. I, I don't know that I'm ready to be by myself. Right. I don't know that I'm ready to think about life differently because in many senses, we had already built up in our minds what we thought was going to come as a result of this relationship. We built our children's identity already. We built ourselves accepting that opportunity. Oh, as soon as I meet so-and-so, they're going to put me on and I'm going to look like this and I'm going to get this. And then this is going to work out this way. So really the hardest thing to break up with are our own expectations. Right. Because we romanticized what the relationship should look like because we get to dream in color, you know, full color, no budget, like Mm -hmm. whatever we, whatever we've conjured up, we just assume that we're giving space to allow people to fulfill that, right? The, The people and the roles that they play in our lives. And around the same time that I first heard your message, in my experience, I, oh, I was in school too. So I'm in school getting an MBA, right? And we were studying unconscious biases. Mm-hmm. And one of them that just like left off the page, like it, it was like, girl, this is you. <laughs> <laughs> this is you coupled with Princeton's message. I'm hoping, the Holy Spirit's like, I hope you get this. One of them is called commitment confirmation and loss aversion. And it says our tendency to maintain belief or support in something because we have chosen to commit to it mm-hmm. and because we want to avoid possible losses. So many of us have experiences with this in different ways, right? In my case, what if you hire someone and then know that it's not the best choice, but you don't want to have to admit that you made a bad choice? Yep. So you'd rather, you know, as they say, throw good money after bad. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, just to hold on to it. And when you said that, it was it was more selfish than anything, right? We're not protecting people. I'm not like, don't go so that I can protect you and what you're doing. It's like, 
I was protecting my own fear of having to do things without them because Mm -hmm. I had romanticized in my mind who they were and what the relationship was. Absolutely. And boy, was that, that was a, that was a, a wake up call to say the least, but there was something else that you even said in the sermon. It was sometimes we have to understand that people need their own encounter Right. So we we stand in the way because we also think that we're protecting them from process. But process is how God gets to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that is where two things I'm hearing you say in that decision about hiring someone that we know is not right for us or staying in a relationship or our children or our friendships. A lot of times it's reputation management. Who am I if this doesn't work out? Yeah. Who am I if I admit that this was a bad hire? (laughs) Who am I if this relationship doesn't work and we've already posted pictures on Instagram? (laughs) (laughs) Right. We've already gone public. We changed our status and everything. So who am I if this doesn't work out? Um, I know a lot of, particularly in the church, there are a lot of parents who sort of have built their reputation upon the success of their children. Um, And that's a very dangerous thing to do because uh, now it doesn't allow for the child um, to have meaningful experiences that might take on a different color than the parents had originally intended. And so sometimes it's not about how well the child is doing. It is about how does this make me look? Mm. And not only is that self-serving when we do that reputation management, but it also is harmful to the person that we're holding on to. Because what we're saying is, because of whatever I'm struggling with, I don't think you deserve fair process. I don't think you deserve the opportunity to bump your head and go where you need to go and fail how you need to fail the same way I was given. And that's the part that we missed. At some point in my life, somebody gave Princeton grace to say, Bless his heart. (laughs) (laughs) He he don't even know that he about to really fall in the water. But bless his heart. But but grace be unto you, man, while you figure it out. Because you need that. And sometimes that's love. I was sharing this uh, at a church that I preached at over the weekend that I think sometimes we preach about faith too much from the concept of holding on. I believe that the same faith that gives you the strength to hold on should be the same faith that gives you clarity and courage to let go. Yes. It should be the the same, that same faith, that same faith. And that's what I love. One of the things, the the pillars, I think this works um, in in two pillars. It works in uh, the people pillar in terms of meaningful relationships uh, because we have to be able to give and receive this grace for process. Mm -hmm. But I think it also works in the faith pillar because one of the things that I I read this, I'm I'm not going to quote it as though it was my own, It might have been on Instagram or something, but the quote said, the thing that you are afraid to let go of the most reveals the area where you trust God the least. Oh, that's good. We did a whole episode about being selective with surrender. So we can show when we don't have any money, right? Like, Lord, Mm -hmm. I surrender my finances. Like, do what Mm -hmm. you need to do, right? But then we're like, no, but I got to fix my husband because- he need me. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like you can't get to him. Right. And we mm-hmm. can choose where we want to exercise that level of faith. 
We absolutely do. We absolutely pick and choose. We pick and choose where we believe God needs our help. Mm. Um, we select that, hey, God, I, I'd probably be a really good assistance to you in this area. I understand that a part of my belief in a God is that you are like hashtag sovereign, like <laughs> all knowing that whole thing. <laughs> if that's a part of uh, the understanding of God that one has. But that being said, you probably still need my help in this area. It's rooted in the idea that we know what's best for us. Sometimes it's rooted in the idea of fear. Like, God, last time I trusted you in this area, I feel like I got hurt really bad. Like, mm. I got burned. So if that's what surrender means, I would rather have the discomfort and the strain of doing it my way than the pain of doing it yours. So sometimes we're just afraid to repeat an experience that we had that has somehow reshaped or reconstructed our, our view of God. And so in that, if we really believed, we would know that releasing someone, you release them not into the distance. And this is what I imagine the father in the text, the prodigal son. I imagine that what allowed him to have the power of okay was that he just understood that when I release him out of my hands, I release this son into the hands of God. And I have to trust that he's out of my sight, but in God's hands. He's out of my house, but in God's hands. He's out of my influence, <clears throat> but he's in God's hands. And I think that that's where it becomes a faith walk. That's where it moves out of emotional health and psychology and just great relationships into the faith that it takes to let go. I have to trust. And this is the crazy part. We always talk about trust the process when it's individual, like trust your process. Mm -hmm. But there's a different layer of that. You have to trust other people's process. Yes. And you have to trust that there's going to be a time where that process is not going to involve you. And do you have the faith and the loving kindness to release them in grace, knowing that your process is going to be just as effective, even if it doesn't involve me? Yes. I love that um, you said it's because it's not my job to make someone ready. Like, it's not mm -hmm. my job to carry the burden of, you know, changing their entire life on my back or changing what they think or how they process information or any of that. And understanding that if I say I love you or I can say I love you, but also understand that you're not ready. Mm -hmm. You are due the dignity of your own process. Yep. And we have to learn how we can hold both of those together. I think um, a lot of what I've learned through now three years of therapy is the power of understanding that two emotions can be held together. Mm -hmm. That emotion and emotional health is not a zero sum equation. It is not, mm -hmm. I'm either fully happy or I'm fully sad. Sometimes I'm happy about one thing and sad about one thing and I hold both together. Um, part of the letting go is because there's a work of grief happening. And so we have to understand that in the grieving process, as a preacher and, and as a pastor now, uh, having done way too many funerals, I've learned that in grieving, it's not that you just either just sad or just happy. You know, we do this thing at funerals where don't cry, they're in a better place. Uh, I think I can hold both together. Yeah. I think I can be excited and grateful for the... Um, the transition of my loved one out of this life that we know is, is nothing but trouble and into something that is hopefully whatever construct of the afterlife someone subscribes to and also hold to 
the pain of navigating life without them. And so we've got to get used to holding two emotions together. So it is with letting someone go. I love you. And I wish that I could have lived out the way I thought this was going to go. I care about you. I, I wish this strategy had worked. I wish we could have gone the distance. I wish that you didn't have to go through what you're going to go through to learn. I wish I didn't have to go through what I have to go through to learn. And at the same time, I believe that you're going to walk into what's best for you. And that this is, this is the hardest part for me, particularly in, in the area of personal relationships and dating, all that stuff. And I have to trust that you might not return. Yeah. This And this is what like blew my mind about the prodigal son's father. Is that that okay was not just a, okay, I'm going to give you a few days and then, I, then we're going to make up after this week is over. <laughs> no, 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 no. When he let that son go, he had to make peace with the fact that this might mean forever. And you have to hold both like, I love you and I also cannot make you ready. I love you and I also know that where you're going is going to give you things through experience that I can't give you through words alone. Mm -hmm. That the way that I've loved you is good and yet maybe not enough for the way you need to learn. And then all of that together allows me to say, I love you if you don't return. I love you if this is really it. (laughs) And and Mm -hmm. the departure doesn't change my love for you. And I hold both together. I love you and you're not ready. You're my son and you're not ready. Just like grieving, we hold both together. I wish this was different and I give you grace to go on. I love you and you're going to learn. I love you and we will both be okay. That's the one. That's the one. Because if yep. we believe that we're both in God's hands, we'll both be okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of... Again, even if someone's like, oh, bless his heart, he has no idea, right? It's true. You know, I may stumble, but at the same time, this is happening for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't look the way either one of us thought. It's not happening, you know, to you and it's not happening to me. It's happening for both of us to discover what God has for us. And the longer we avoid this process, the more we are delaying the promise. The longer both of us choose to ignore letting go, the longer we're avoiding the good growth that's going to come for both of us. And sometimes the best thing we can do when someone says they're not ready is to believe them. The best thing we can do when someone says, you know what, I think I need to go this way. Because at that point, they've, they've already made up in their mind that this is what they need or what they believe they need. And so us holding on is not going to it's not going to make it better. It's not going to reverse the process that's already in effect. Dr. Christina Edmondson says this, and it has forever changed my life so that we can have what I call healthy hope in these situations. Healthy hope. We know there can be a hope that is detrimental because you have, like we talked about earlier, you've over-romanticized the outcome. And so in that space, it can be an unhealthy hope because now you're holding on to stuff that's actually detrimental. But I believe in healthy hope because sometimes when people have had the unhealthy kind, they go to the other end of the spectrum, which is no hope at all. Like, mm-hmm. I ain't never going to find somebody. I'm, I'm over love. I'm over partnership. I'm over trying again. I'm not going to ever be vulnerable and whatever. And so I like to have what's called healthy hope. And it came from something Dr. Christina Edmondson said. She said these words. She said, I've learned to live with these two realities. One, 
people change. Two, I cannot change people. That's the healthy hope that people do change. I don't care what goes on and how bad this world gets. That is the hope. People really do change. I'm a living witness because if I changed, then I know it's possible. It might, it might take a little more life. It might take a little more failure. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of God <laughs> and some therapy, I believe. People do change. But the healthy hope is that I don't change people. I love them. I interact with them. I support them. I give and invest in them. I set boundaries around them when necessary. But I don't do the changing. God does that. And that is how you have the power of okay. People do change. That prodigal son going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. But I don't change people. So when I'm confronted with that moment where somebody's like, you know what? I think I need to peace out. This isn't going to work. Um, we're considering someone else. Uh, I want to break up. I don't want this partnership. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I know that things work out. I know that people change. But it's not going to be just because of my effort. So, yeah. Okay. That's good. And I just want to add to this that it's not even them just saying, I'm not ready, because sometimes I don't think people have the strength to articulate that. Oh, yes. But they definitely demonstrated in their actions. And that is when it's imperative that we're praying for wisdom and discernment and that we can be obedient to like people are showing you what's going on. Like you, mm-hmm. like you can tell that they've made a decision to check out yep. in some form or fashion, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. And sometimes for the same reason, they're trying to protect their reputation. Absolutely. So they don't want to, you know, ruffle the feathers or whatever, but you can tell in other ways, other actions, other things that start to shift. And so even when someone is not able to articulate, look, peace out, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still up to us to pay attention and see it in the actions. And to your point, not prolong the process because it's keeping both of us from the promise. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is so important that sometimes, absolutely, it will not be as neat as the prodigal story son lays it out where somebody has, because you're absolutely right. It takes um, a very a whole decided person on the inside to be able to step up and admit that. And so sometimes you're absolutely right. It will show up in our behaviors first. I think this is why it is so important that we do the work of loving ourselves because we will do the work of two things. We will either convince ourselves that someone is ready when they're displaying behaviors that show that they're not, or worse, we will tell ourselves that we deserve someone who's not ready. You know what, Princeton? (laughs) And we do this a lot. I have been, and what I love about this conversation is I've been on both ends. I've been the person having to say, okay, and let someone go. And I've also been the person that wasn't ready. And what I know about being the one who's having to say, okay, when someone's not ready is that sometimes you convince yourself that this is what I deserve. I deserve a not ready person. I deserve a not ready situation. We take business deals that clearly <laughs> are not processed. And sometimes it's because we, we believe there's an organization that's clearly not treating us well. 
But we say, oh, maybe because I don't have X amount of followers or maybe because my brand hasn't gotten to this point, I should accept these types of deals and get, no, 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 no. I understand you're not at a million, but because of the work that you've put in on your 400, you deserve to be treated with care and excellence. And so if that deal is not, but we hold these beliefs sometimes that because I'm not X, I don't deserve Y. And that's just certainly not true. That's not the case. And so sometimes we are seeing those behaviors, but we give senseless grace that comes from a different pot. We have to understand that the real grace to give is the one that says bye, not the one that overlooks um, these very egregious things that are being done to us while someone's not ready. And and I think too, I want to speak to to the point you brought up, I want to speak to the person who's not ready because again, I've been, I've been both people. If you are not ready, sometimes the reason why someone who's not ready won't acknowledge it is because they're afraid to lose the benefits that come with being with you. I know I'm not ready, but if I admit that I might have to actually embrace boundaries that won't give me access to your time, your resource, if it's a relationship, your body, whatever that might be. And so sometimes when you're the person who's not ready, you're like, dang, I'm not ready, but you're such a good candidate. Can I hold you around while I get ready? Ooh, I'm about to throw this whole laptop. (laughs) (laughs) That's the psychology. And so sometimes if you are in a space where somebody is not giving clear directions, but their behaviors are showing something, it is likely a sign that they realize how amazing you are and they're processing that with how unready they are. And instead of doing the mature thing, which is say, hey, you know what? Because again, it takes faith on both sides. The person who's not ready has to believe that if you trust God to do your work, what's for you is still going to be there when you're a whole process individual. So if that's your person, they're, they're going to be present and there. And who knows? God might even be doing some supernatural stuff where y'all both go do your work and come back as super people who are like whole and processed and have like cut off the things that would have made you all codependent had you kept going before. So it takes faith. If you're the person that's not ready, you have to believe that if that's for you, God is going to make sure that it's for you. But you also have to have the faith that if it's not, you're going to be able to get what actually is. And if you keep going, not being ready, you're going to destroy you and them. And then what's going to be dangerous is You're now going to have to do the work that you had to do all along, and you're going to have to do the work of cleaning your hands of the blood of someone's heart that you messed over because you did not want to be honest. And that's a different level of guilt you have to deal with way down the road. It's going to be a different level of processing because now you're going to have to process your journey and the heart that you broke because you did not say yes to your journey because you were along the way going, you're so dope. I just, you know, and. And we, we have so much fun together and we look cute and we, you know, we just, you know, it's so good. I just, and so sometimes that's the psychology that when somebody is displaying the behaviors, mm. but not saying it, it's likely because they don't want to lose what they know they have to, if they would just be honest and say, I'm not ready. Princeton. I knew when I woke up at 536 <laughs> this morning. That you were going to come on Redefining Wealth and put it down. 
<laughs> Sir, I have to go listen to this before it even gets published again. You <laughs> are speaking truth. Listen, before I let you get out of here, man, man, that was so good. Um, before I let you get out of here, I have to ask you uh, what, some questions, what we call redefining wealth, rapid wisdom questions. You're just going to tell yes. us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Uh huh. How do you define success? Success is authenticity plus service. Was I 100% me, whatever that is, did I find out what that was? Did I give it 100%? And then once I found that, did I live that out in service of others and the plan that God had for my life? Amen. How do you define wealth in three words or less? Purpose, relationships, love. Love it. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? Okay, I'm going to cheat. Um, obviously, the pastor and me, you know, let's keep my pastor's card. The Bible. Um, <laughs> but, but let's go to the, <clears throat> the deep end of the pool. There's a book that I've learned a lot of this from called The Emotional Incest Syndrome. What to do when a parent's love rules your life. It talks about the ways in which Um, a lot of childhood trauma is created by the bond between um, parents and children. And so once I learned that, it reshaped emotional health and success. So it's not a typical like success book, but from an emotional health and like healthy family relations perspective, it changed me forever. Oh, yes. Definitely looking into that. I love it. Um, Fill in the blank. My name is, insert your name. And for me, the truth about wealth is... My name is Princeton. And for me, the truth about wealth is that it starts on the inside and it overflows to the outside. Yes, it does. Thank you, Princeton. Oh, man. Ms. Patrice, this is a dream come true. Like I have listened to episodes and just been inspired by your journey and your yes to God and the way that you're serving people and the world, um, from you and your husband, what you've done, uh, in purpose, what you've done. I mean, back from the SC days, the black alumni association uh, yes. and what you continue to do. I am so inspired and I, and I hope that, uh, God does a portion for me of, of what he's done, uh, in your family life and in your own journey. And so this is a dream come true. I am super stoked and I'm about to be Dance, I'm gonna put on church music and, and dance to just <laughs> act a whole fool once this call is over. I, I can't wait. Oh man, thank you so much. Thank you so much. The admiration is mutual. I respect you quite a bit. And I don't know, I, I don't I didn't want to leave with this or anything, but I know that now that you guys have gotten through this episode, Princeton, how old are you? <laughs> uh this year I just turned 25. Yeah. Now, now y'all know this is, this is 25 year old wisdom right here. Now, this is complete anointing. Um, yeah, man. From day one, I guess I met you. You were like 1920. And I thought, yeah. we, were the, I thought we were the same age. I was like, this dude has been through some life. <laughs> God bless you. So, so incredibly um, honored to be connected. And just I'm excited to just continue to watch God move in your life. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the opportunity. Okay, you can't say I didn't warn you. You can't say I didn't warn you. I'm literally at the mic dancing around because 
I told you it was going to be good. So good that I know you need to share this. You need to rate, review, and listen yourself two, three, four, five, six times because it's that good. The thing that I am taking with me into this year, here's my big takeaway. I love when he talked about getting to a point where you lose everything you thought you wanted to realize that you didn't need any of it. Ooh, and that you are a whole person without any of that. What are the things that you have idolized, those things or people, places, things that you've been like, oh, I will be happy when, right? And you have changed and shifted who you are, what you believe, how you move in order to make it fit, only to realize that you didn't really need that to begin with. Like that is so huge. I really want you to marinate on that a bit. And another thing I'm taking away is who are the people that I will have to say, bless his or her heart and move on in order to stay committed to what I need to get done this year? Because I can't protect them from their process. Some folk got to go through their process, just like we've all had to go through our processes, right? But there's going to be a few people on this journey where I have nothing left to say, but bless his heart. (laughs) bless her heart Mm -mm -mm. she'll get it lord who's that for you now you may not feel uh safe sharing out there in the open but you should feel safe in the purpose chasers community that's what it's all about so join us at iamapurposechaser.com completely free come find your accountability partner come find some folks in your neck of the woods who are really trying to live these pillars out in their everyday life they set their calendars in their life up based on these pillars, just like I do. So come find your community. Come on home. Welcome home. We are your people. (laughs) Make sure you find Princeton out in social media on Instagram. He's at Princeton Parker. That's at Princeton Parker. Tell him that you heard him on the Redefining Wealth podcast. Show him some love. And also make sure you check out his podcast. It's called Building Without a Blueprint. Building Without a Blueprint, it's here on Apple Podcasts and probably everywhere you listen to this podcast, you should be able to find Princeton. So until next week, until we hit the work pillar of the Results Not Resolution series, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment, and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later.